Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Certified Religious Transition and Trauma Recovery Coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. This week, we are talking about a topic that has come up in so many conversations on social media, and it even came up in our conversation in the live discussion this past week. And I really want to address it because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around the topic of acceptance, what it is, what it isn't, and how we can both receive more acceptance, and give more acceptance to others. Maya Angelou said, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And this is sort of the basis of acceptance. When we accept someone, we allow ourselves to believe the reality of who they are. Some of these realities are going to leave us feeling warm and fuzzy and connected to this person, and other realities may leave us feeling annoyed or frustrated or hurt. The paradox of human relationships is that we may experience both kinds of realities even with the same person. At its heart, accepting someone is understanding that they have the right to be their own person, to have their own personality, their own thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and opinions. They have the right to be working through their own stuff in their own time. They get to choose how they show up in the world and what patterns of behavior feel best for them. And when we accept someone else, we stop trying to overtly or covertly change them into who we want them to be or who we believe they should be. In this space, we see them for who they truly are and who they are not, which is a big part of acceptance, understanding who a person is and who they are not, at least for the time being, right? We accept that they are the authority in their own life, not us the same way we would want them to honor that we are the authority in our lives and not them. Almost every article I read on acceptance agreed on the points we've just talked about. However, the rest of the podcast is going to be dedicated to the divergence and opinion on the topic and how to maintain emotional health through clear and kind communication, constructive conflict resolution, and personal boundary setting. All right, let's dig into this topic, and it's likely going to feel like a controversial one, which is why I want to hear your thoughts and opinions on the live weekly discussion call this Wednesday and every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time, and it's for all monthly donors. This week's call is sure to have a lively discussion about what acceptance really is and how we put it into practice in ways that are healthy for us and for others. If you want to participate in the calls, please go to www.emancipateyourmind.org, click on the box that says support the podcast and give a gift, and choose any monthly donation amount to be included on the email list where you'll receive not only the links to the weekly calls, but also additional tools and journal exercises that will help you get the most from each episode. If you want to be included in this week's discussion call, send me an email at terry at emancipatedcoaching.com with the title, I Donated. 
and I'll get you added to the list ASAP. Either pause the podcast right now and go join the community before you forget, or check out the show notes later when you're not driving or in the tub or, you know, wrangling your kids or whatever. And I will see you this Wednesday. So as I was reading articles, watching videos, and listening to podcasts on accepting others, I kept running across the idea that not only is acceptance believing the facts about another person and allowing that reality to exist without trying to manipulate or change it, but these articles took the definition of acceptance further to mean that we must then embrace, enjoy, agree with, be easygoing about, and accommodating of all of the facts that we discover about this other person. Because I know many of you listening to this episode have been in relationships with people with high instances of narcissistic or borderline personality traits, or just people who have low levels of emotional maturity, I know you can see the potential problem with this definition of acceptance. And because I know we have many recovering people pleasers and codependents listening, I know many of you understand the emotional and mental strain you might experience if you believe you must embrace everything about another person with a smile on your face and genuine enjoyment in your heart while your needs continue to go unmet or you continue to get hurt. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that any situation that chronically favors the needs and comfort of one person at the expense of the other, it's likely not a healthy relationship. Luckily, many psychologists agree that acceptance is simply allowing ourselves to believe the facts about another person, and from there, we then have a host of tools at our disposal to create a relationship or a non-relationship that is healthy for both of us. So let's use an example that's common for many of us, and shout out to Jasmine from last Wednesday's call for prompting me to think about this and study this scenario with regards to acceptance in particular. So let's say you have a family member that is 100% all in with their fundamentalist or evangelical church. They love their church. They love their church leaders. They love their doctrine. They believe it's the absolute truth. And they believe their purpose on earth is to share that truth with everyone they meet, including people like you who would rather they didn't. There's little to no room for you to think or act differently than what they believe is right. And they have no qualms telling you where and how you're wrong and what you need to change to be more like them. So how do you accept this person? And then is it even possible to have a healthy relationship with them? These are great questions. And I think many of us listening to this podcast can relate and maybe have a person or two like this in our lives. And I need you to know that these are all things I'm still working on because we were all indoctrinated to see our beliefs and way of living as right. And we want to change others and and help them, you know, quote unquote, wake up to the truth. I still catch myself making these kinds of judgments, particularly about my family from time to time, because I have the longest history of this like right and wrong dynamic with them. So it makes sense that I still struggle there and it takes conscious effort and practice to move into acceptance and I'm getting better at accepting others, but I'm not totally there yet all the time. So first we need to accept the facts and I'm using facts here loosely because what we're accepting is repeated observed behavior and personality traits. We may attach meaning to these observed behaviors that aren't intended because of our past experience and our brain's tendency to try to make meaning out of things when we're lacking information. 
And we may attach judgments to these observed behaviors because of internalized beliefs about how the world and people should be. But you get the idea. We're doing our best to objectively look at the other person's personality, characteristics, and behavior and describe what we're seeing kind of the way we would describe, I don't know, looking at like a doorknob or a rock or a tree. We're describing the characteristics as unemotionally, I guess I should say, as possible. We're trying to look at it as objectively as possible. So in this situation, our family member is involved in and seems to love their fundamentalist religion for reasons that are totally legitimate to them. They believe their religious beliefs are the truth, and they feel compelled to share it with us and others and tell us when they believe we're wrong or sinning so that we won't go to hell. This is what we're observing. There's still some judgments in there. I don't know if you caught that. There were still some judgments in there. And there's going to be judgments inside of you as you're observing. So just get curious with that. It's really difficult for us to observe other humans, particularly ones we care about, without having judgments or emotions or feelings. And all of that is totally normal. Just allow yourself to be conscious of it, get curious with it, and work with it. So take a moment right now and just allow yourself to consider. Just accepting that this is who they are and they may never change. In fact, there's a possibility they may become more fundamentalist over time. So let's just sit with that for a minute. What would it be like to just accept this is my mom or my dad or my grandma, my grandpa, my brother or sister, my aunt or my uncle? This is who they are. And it might never change. This is my spouse or my child. This is who they are, and it may never change. Now, what emotions come up for you when you try to imagine that reality? What thoughts do you have? Because I'll bet if you feel like you're in struggle here, it's because you feel like it should change or that you're responsible to change it, that if you just said things a certain way, if you just explained yourself in a certain way, then they would be able to accept you as you are. But a lot of times we're not accepting them as they are either. There's a little bit of a struggle there. They want us to see the world the the way that they see it. And we want them to see the world the way that we see it. But what if we just accepted that this is who they are? They have these traits. They have these beliefs, at least for the present. And not only is it not our job to change it, but we can't. People only change when they decide to change. We can tell them what we need. We can tell them how they're affecting us. We can tell them, you know, what's hurting us and what's not working but people don't change until they decide to change. No matter how many facts we throw at them, no matter how many times we sit and talk with them, they have to decide that it's in their best interest to change. That's a really difficult truth to embrace. We can't change other people. It has to be their choice. So as you're feeling through your emotions and listening to your thoughts, you may feel some grief because accepting these facts means you might not have the relationship that you would have had if you could both be mutually accepting and curious and open-minded and respectful 
of both your similarities and especially your differences, right? You may feel some anger because you feel entitled to a better relationship with this person. Often these feelings are accompanied by thoughts that this person should be different or that your relationship should be different. There's usually a lot of shoulds involved, a lot of feelings of expectation and entitlement. This is my mother. I should be close with her. And it's okay to like recognize that and get curious about where did that idea come from that I should be super close to my mom or to my dad or my brother or sister or to my own child. And we may have some anger about that because it's not working the way we feel like it should work. And we feel helpless to change it because again, we are, we cannot make the other person change. The other person has to choose to change. And sometimes there's things about us that we need to like work with in order for us to be more compatible in our relationships and they can't change us. They can't make us change. We have to choose to make changes in order to make our relationships work better. And then we have to decide if that's worthwhile, if that's what we want to do. Now, you might also feel some fear because you're worried that if you accept these facts about this person, you might not have a relationship with them anymore. You may have other fears about what could happen if you just accept this person for who they are. And sometimes those fears are really valid. Like they might be fears that revolve around who else might get hurt. So in instances of abuse, we may have to accept this is the reality of this family member. They abuse people in these ways. And accepting it may bring up some fear about, okay, who else could they possibly hurt? That doesn't mean we just let it happen, right? This accepting it allows us to then take action and decide what we need to do to protect ourselves and maybe others. And we may have some fear about what problems may come up in the future if we just let this person be the authority in their own life. And if we just accept the facts about who they are and how they live their life. You may have a person in your family that maybe makes really unhealthy choices physically or financially for themselves, or maybe, you know, they get themselves into really harmful relationships or they cyclically self-sabotage themselves. And so we sometimes try to come in and save the day, right? Because we don't want to accept the reality that they do this cyclically or that this is a pattern in their life. So we want to save them from themselves and we want to keep them from their consequences. But acceptance means understanding I can't control if this person exercises or not. I can't control whether this person saves money for their future or not. I can't control if this person's going to get into a relationship with another person who's going to be emotionally, mentally, or physically abusive to them. I can't control their decisions because they are their own person and they're their own authority. All I can do is accept that this may be their reality. I can continue to be concerned. But I may have to set boundaries around myself because I can't fix it for them. Sometimes we have to make difficult decisions because we have to accept that people sometimes do unhealthy things for themselves. And many of us feel this way about our family members who are still in high demand religion, particularly if we feel like our time in high demand religion was mentally or emotionally abusive or abusive in other ways. It may be really difficult for us to watch someone else continue to make those choices in their lives because we're worried 
about problems that may come up in the future or the ways that they're damaging themselves or their relationships with other people. And there may be a part of you that feels this like sense of relief that you don't have to keep trying to change this person into the version of themselves that could be better or healthier or more connected to you or their other family members. And you may feel several of these emotions all at once, and that's normal. You may feel angry and some grief and some relief kind of all at once in one big, confusing, emotional mess. And that's okay. Allow yourself to feel the things. All of those feelings are valid. You can get curious with those feelings. Allow them to you know, speak to you about why you're feeling what you're feeling. And then that'll give you information to decide what you need to do to keep yourself and maybe others safe, right? In the sense of if somebody could possibly abuse someone else, what do you need to do to keep others safe? Particularly maybe your kids or, you know, your spouse, people that you're in charge of protecting yourself. How do you keep those people safe? Once we've gotten to observe the other person objectively and we've allowed ourselves to process our feelings and thoughts about what we observe. Now we're empowered to take the next steps, which is to decide what are we going to do with this information? So we've collected facts. We've sat down with our thoughts and feelings about these facts. We've sometimes had to like face our fear. What will I do if this is the reality? How do I handle this? We have, you know, faced our grief of what does it mean if my relationship with this person changes or dissolves? And We've gotten really clear about what's going on inside of us because of the reality of who this person is or what they do. And there's several options here. There's actually unlimited options, but today I'm just going to talk about a few. So there's always tons and tons of solutions and you'll find ones that work for you, but here's a couple of general ones, I guess, to get your, get your juices flowing about how you can problem solve. So the first step that we're going to take is we can have a clear and kind discussion with the person about the kind of relationship we want with them and invite them to problem solve with us so that we can meet both of our needs. And this is a step that a lot of us want to avoid because growing up in high demand religion, we were often taught that conflict was bad. We were often taught to kind of communicate in a passive or even passive aggressive way. We were taught to like hint at our needs, but never like come face to face with someone and just speak clearly and kindly about what's working and what's not working. Now, with regards to this family member, you might say something like, you know, mom or dad, I love you and I want a close relationship with you. I understand that your church is really important to you and gives you a deep sense of meaning and purpose in life. However, the way you're sharing it with me leaves me feeling lonely and angry after spending time with you. We have lots of other topics we could talk about where we'll feel that closeness and that love that I crave with you. Do you mind if for now at least we just set religion to the side and choose not to discuss it? One of the important things is really discussing with your parent, like, I love you and I want a relationship with you. That's important to me. And there's a couple of things standing in the way of us feeling close. Here is what that looks like from my perspective. This is what I need to feel safe. This is what I need to feel close to you. Here are some ideas. Now, we're going to also need to listen, right? We need to listen to the other person's perspective and find out what their needs are and their feelings are so that we can meet in the middle and get both of our needs met. 
Many of us are used to power dynamics where there's a winner and a loser. Um, that's often portrayed not just in high demand religion, but also in mainstream media that when we're having conflict, there's a clear winner, there's a clear loser. And we're trying to get over that sort of indoctrination that we have about conflict, that we're going to go into battle, guns blazing, demand what we need. And then we're going to come out the victor because we were the strongest. What we're there to do is we're there to collaborate. We're there to both feel understood and seen. We're both there to find out what our needs are, what needs are getting met, what needs are not getting met, and how can we meet in the middle? How can we give and take both of us, not just one of us taking and one of us giving, but how can we make sure that both of our needs are met? And then we try things on because our first solution may not be the right solution, right? So maybe we decide we're not going to talk about this, but then that doesn't feel good. Maybe it doesn't feel good for your parents or it doesn't feel good for you. And so Maybe you feel more distant that way, but you try it on for a while and you decide to meet back up and say, okay, here's what's working. This is what's gotten better. This is what's gotten worse. How can we tweak this and make it work better for both of us? This is going to be kind of an ongoing discussion. And remember, you're creating new patterns. It may take some time to develop these new neural pathways in both of your brains. You or your family member, you might slip back into old patterns. Your family member might talk about the church out of habit, might preach to you or call you to repentance out of habit. So it's okay to gently remind them. You can just say things like, remember, I don't really want to talk about this. And you can change the subject. Or you could have like a key phrase or like a physical signal to cue the other person that the topic has veered back into a dangerous territory. You can, when you're not in conflict, like when you're having this discussion, and you're not like in the middle of a heated moment, you guys can sit down and you can talk about, okay, this is probably going to happen again because this is how we've always been. Like what's a funny signal or a word or something I can use to help us recognize like, oh, we're back in old patterns. Let's, you know, let's change the topic or let's do something different. Or if you have family members that are easily distracted, you can simply change the topic and sometimes they won't even notice. So over time, talking about things other than religion in this instance, will become more of a habit and you won't have to change topics so often. You'll find things that you have in common and you'll find ways to connect that have nothing to do with religion because you and I both know, and maybe we didn't realize this when we were in fundamentalist religion, but there's a whole world out there of topics that we can connect on. There's there's probably more you have in common with your family members than the differences you have. And you can focus on those. You can focus on your interests. You can focus on things that you do have in common. That's not always the case, but often it is the case that we have a lot in common with our family members, even when some of them stay in a high demand fundamentalist religion and some of us leave. So there's a lot we can talk about and discuss. Now, the next tool at our disposal is when clear and kind discussions don't resolve the issue. Then we need to move into more firm personal boundaries. First, we just kind of invite someone, right, to meet us in a safe place. It's not necessarily a boundary. It's just kind of a discussion about here's who I am. This is what I need. It's kind of an invitation for people to like meet that need without having to draw a clear boundary. We just kind of are like, this is what I prefer. This is what I'd like. And sometimes people are like, oh, okay, I didn't know. And then there you go. But other times what happens is you'll have a discussion with your family member expressing your preferences and either they don't agree to try something different 
they're like, nope, this is how it's going to go. Or they will like agree to try something different, but then they continuously trample that agreement, either like consciously or unconsciously. And in that instance, it's time for firmer personal boundaries. So whether your parent is doing it on purpose or not, if they're continuing to do things that really hurt you or annoy you or just make it difficult to like be in relationship in certain ways, then you're going to have to figure out what is okay with you and what is not okay with you. That's the first part of boundaries. You have to be clear with yourself about what is okay and what is not okay. And that might take a little bit of time, right? Exploring that with yourself. What is it about religious conversations? Are there certain kinds of religious conversations that are okay? And are there certain kinds of religious conversations that are not okay? And the way we can figure that out is we usually revisit our past experiences and we figure out like, have my parents ever talked about religion in a way that didn't feel triggering or didn't make me feel like they were preaching to me or disapproving of me? And what was it about those conversations that was different than, you know, the ones that were really triggering or made me feel angry or attacked or lonely or misunderstood? And so get get clear about that. Take some time to journal with yourself and to think those things over and maybe make lists of what, you know, when things are triggering and when they're not. Are there certain topics? Are there certain times? Are there certain events that make it feel more dangerous than other times. So like my mom can talk about her church friends. She can tell me about activities she does at Relief Society. She can talk about the church as if it's part of her life because it is, it's a huge part of her life. So she can talk about the church in that way and tell me about her day-to-day life and how the church is involved in her day-to-day life. But when there start to be implications that I should be there too, which hasn't happened in a long time, but when there are implications that I should be there too, or when, you know, there's just certain, you know, certain key phrases and certain like kind of like passive invitations that I need to come back. Those are the times that I'm like, that's not cool with me. So get clear with yourself about what's cool with you and what's not cool with you. I'm totally cool with the church being part of my mother's life. I understand it has value for her. I understand that it is a whole community with friendships and meaning for her. And she has history there. And I'm cool with that being part of her life. As long as it also feels cool that it is not part of my life. So that's kind of where the distinction is for me. So go be Mormon mom, have fun. And be cool with me not being Mormon. That's really like where I want to be and not even be cool, but like understand that that doesn't have meaning for me. She might not be cool with it. We can't ask people to be cool with our differences of choices, but we can ask they be respectful because there's a difference with that. They don't necessarily have to embrace it and love it. I think my mom would still kind of prefer that I was LDS because it felt really connected and we had a lot in common and it it felt like we were moving towards a common purpose. And I think that there is a lot of grief there, but that has changed and that's totally valid. She's allowed to feel that way. And there needs to be mutual respect for different choices, which she's doing a great job at right now. Now it's time to set the boundary. And remember The boundary isn't about getting the other person to change. It's about taking responsibility for yourself and doing what you need to do to keep yourself safe and sane. 
So in this instance, if your parent begins to preach to you or call you to repentance, you can let them know firmly and kindly that you don't like that kind of communication and it makes you feel less connected to them. And that it leaves you feeling worse about your relationship with them. And you'll have to leave the conversation if it continues, not only to protect yourself, but to protect your relationship. Like, I can't stay here and let you do this to me because it's creating bad feelings in myself about you. It's hurting our relationship. It's hurting my feeling of safety. So instead of damaging myself and the relationship, I'm going to leave for the protection of both. And in this instance, they're welcome to either change topics if they want to keep talking with you, or they can make the choice to keep preaching. That's They can choose either one, but you're going to choose to protect yourself by exiting the conversation for your own safety and sanity. And remember, leaving this particular conversation doesn't mean goodbye forever. It doesn't have to. It can, but it doesn't have to. It's just goodbye from this conversation right now. So I know you've heard Kevin and I talk a lot about conflict resolution. And when you're in a emotionally mature, healthy relationship, both of you can come to an agreement that when things get heated, you can both take a break for a bit so you can cool down. And then you can come back and try to solve the issue again after your nervous system has calmed down. That's effectively what you're doing here. If they continue to trample your boundaries, you know, if they continue to do things that are that are making you feel unsafe or just a little bit crazy, right? You can remove yourself from the situation so that you can calm your nervous system and decide what you want to do from there. And that's that's what you're doing here. And you can leave the conversation as many times as you need to to keep yourself mentally and emotionally healthy. Giving yourself that permission too makes you feel empowered. You no longer feel like you have to just sit there and take it. And many of us were conditioned not to be rude. And we were taught that walking out of a conversation or, um, you know, even just like verbally telling someone, hey, that's not okay, that that's rude, that that's not nice. And so we're trying to move away from being nice, remember? And we're trying to be kind. We're trying to be clear. We're trying to invite people to get closer with us if they want to. So we're being very clear and very kind but we are no longer doormats. And so that means if someone is, you know, hurting us that we're allowed to say, Hey, that hurts. I don't like that. Please stop. And if they don't stop, we're allowed to then take care of ourselves and leave. And I can hear some of you saying, but you know, Terry, my family member won't like that. They're going to get angry. They'll throw a fit. They'll say really hurtful things. They're going to embarrass me in front of others. And that's true. They might because we don't have control over their reaction. And that's going to cause you to have to take further measures to protect yourself. If that's how they're going to react, you may not only have to leave this conversation, you might have to leave the vicinity for a while. So you might not just go into another room. You might leave the house. You might decide right now, this is not a safe place for me. Many of us have come from these families, these relationships that are based on few or no boundaries. And some of us were taught that love doesn't have boundaries. That if it's love, there's no boundaries involved. But you've listened to this podcast for a while now, and you understand that the trust needed to create deep connection and intimacy, it can't thrive without boundaries. We can't let our guards down with one another if we aren't able to say what we like and what we don't like, 
and what feels good and what doesn't feel good. If we're not allowed to vocalize that, if we're not allowed to let the other person know what's okay and what's not okay, we're not going to feel safe in the relationship. And we're going to keep our armor on all of the time. And when one or both people in a relationship have their armor on all the time, guess what? You can't connect. You just kind of clank together in your metal suits, right? It's not warm and cuddly at all, really. So a hug in a suit of armor just doesn't have that same appeal as that warm skin-to-skin contact. And that's how it is emotionally as well. Boundaries are our way of allowing ourselves to feel safe, to take off the armor, because we know if someone starts throwing arrows or javelins, we have a plan to get ourselves out of the war zone. So effectively, setting boundaries with your family member is telling them how to get close to you if they want to, and we can't force them to. That's part of this acceptance, right? We can't force them to change. We can't force them to take the steps needed in order for us to get close to one another. They may have things that happened in their past where they feel much safer hiding underneath their armor. And their armor might look like narcissistic traits. Their armor might look like borderline personality traits. Their armor might look like doing things that are emotionally immature. They might be super, super withdrawn. They might be really, really anxiously attached. There are a lot of things that we do when we don't feel completely safe. So we can invite them to get close and to do the work because it'll require work on both of our parts, right? We can invite them to get close if they want to, but we can't force them. And if they don't, you're telling them that you'll keep your armor on if needed. And you'll remove yourself from the battleground and go someplace safer and more peaceful if you need to as well. And you'll check back later to see if the war is raging still or if it's safe to take off a few pieces of armor then. So again, I think some of us are under the impression that if we walk away once, if we create distance for a while, then that's distance forever, that we're cutting people off. There's a lot about cancel culture out in society, just like believing someone the first time cutting them off completely and just being like one strike, you're out. Unfortunately, many of us are healing generational trauma, particularly when we come from lineages of high demand religion. And so it's going to take practice for us and for our family members. And what we're doing is we're giving ourselves the space to protect ourselves, allow our nervous systems to calm down, listen to and care for our emotions and decide what we need to do going forward because it's really difficult to do that when we're in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. It's really difficult to think and to problem solve in that space. So in this instance, you're removing yourself so that you can do that for yourself at least and give them an opportunity to do it for themselves as well. Now, a third option is that we can reframe our expectations or the meaning behind someone's actions. An example that comes to mind for me is when I was 16, my now late grandmother was in the early stages of Alzheimer's at the time when she visited us while we were living in Argentina. And she said and did some of the most inappropriate and offensive things while she was there. And it left us all a little shell-shocked and kind of embarrassed and sometimes angry And as we came to accept the reality of her disease over the subsequent years, 
we began to reframe the inappropriate and offensive things that she would continuously do and say as she progressed in the disease. And we started reframing those not as super offensive or shocking or embarrassing things, but as things that were just super humorous. We realized that she wasn't intending to offend, that she was just struggling with her diagnosis. And so, you know, when she would hit on 17-year-old boys as a, you know, 70-year-old woman, we would just chuckle and laugh. Um, you know, keep her safe, obviously, but chuckle and laugh about the experience instead of feeling really embarrassed. When she would just bluntly tell you that the food was awful or, you know, refuse to eat it and push it away, we would see it more as humorous instead of offensive. So now some of those same things that left us feeling embarrassed or angry, they cause us to laugh until we cry. And they're actually really connective between us and our family. They're just so ridiculous. And they're funny memories to have of my grandma before she passed. There's also sadness and grief mixed in because life is a paradox, but there's also a lot of humor with those last years of her life. So we can do this also with our evangelical and fundamentalist family members. We can reframe their preaching and admonitions to repent as declarations of love and concern for us. So perhaps we might even tell them these reframes. We can say something like, I know when you tell me to repent, it's because you care about me and love me deeply. I'd rather you just said, I care about you and I want what's best for you. I really enjoy straightforward words of affection. So you can just, you know, pour on those words of affection straightforward whenever you would like. I mean, you can be cheeky with this. You can be fun with this. Um, And this will only work, obviously, if you feel safe with your family members. But you can use kind of a humorous tone like, hey, I know whenever you call me to repentance, what you really mean is I love you. So what I'm hearing is I love you and I care about you and I want what's best for you. Um, You can just say that. You don't have to tell me I'm going to hell. Little winky face. Now, I know that's not always possible. In fact, sometimes all three of these things might not be possible with someone. And in those instances, we can create emotional or physical distance. Sometimes we are just fundamentally incompatible with people, at least as we are in the present. Who we are and who they are just don't mesh well. When we're in relationships with people who are unable or unwilling to give and take in a relationship or to meet us in conflict resolution so that both of our needs get met or who appear not to care about our well-being, we may have to create a safety bubble for ourselves by creating distance between us and this other person. So we may decide to create emotional distance. That's one kind of distance we can give ourselves, meaning that we only share the surface of our lives with the other person. We accept that we'll talk about maybe gardens or our walking routines, our new recipes, a new outfit we bought, what the kids are up to, and our schedules. But we aren't going to talk about things that are deeply emotional because it too often leads to the behaviors that leave us feeling more disconnected, frustrated, angry, or sad, or because those things are weaponized against us. So we may just keep it super surfacey. Again, we're going back to that marble jar we've talked about in the last couple of episodes that Brene Brown talked about. We're looking to share vulnerable things with people who have earned the right to hear them. And just because somebody is a family member doesn't mean they've earned the right to hear it. Just because someone was our friend in the past 
They've taken out a lot of marbles lately from the jar as we've gone through religious deconstruction. They might not have earned the right to our vulnerability. They might need to put some more marbles in the jar. So until that point, until we feel safe, maybe we're sharing more surfacey stuff. So that's one way that we can give ourselves some emotional distance. We kind of create an emotional bubble around ourselves and we only share the things that feel safe to share. And sometimes we need to create physical distance. And this can look lots of different ways. So if we want to maintain a relationship with someone, but we find that when we get together, it creates a lot of anxiety for us. A lot of times we fight. Maybe what we do is instead of visiting in person, we might talk on the phone or have a video call instead because it's easier to leave the battlefield whenever it heats up. If things often get really, really heated and you've tried like working through this in person and it just makes it worse and worse, maybe you try a phone call, maybe you try video calls so that, you know, when things get really heated, you have full control to just say, you know what, right now it seems like things are getting really heated and I'm going to leave the conversation for a bit so we can both calm down and maybe we can revisit this in a few days. So it gives you a little bit more sense of control over your well-being. Another thing you might do is maybe it might look like only talking via text or like email or old-fashioned letters because maybe you need even more time to process the communication before responding. Now, this does come with some downfalls because the words that we say are only a couple of percent of our communication. Tone of voice, body language, like obviously face-to-face conversations are going to be our most productive because people can see our body language, they can hear our tone of voice, and they're hearing the words. But if that gets really like feels emotionally or physically dangerous, then you might want to give yourselves a degree of separation and you try that phone video thing. If that even still feels too dangerous, then you're going to give yourself another degree of separation and you can communicate via text or email or old-fashioned letters to kind of keep that connection, but like provide a cushion of safety for both of you. And then sometimes we need some time away to reevaluate and decide what kind of relationship, if any, we want with this person. And maybe we decide we don't want anything to do with the relationship the way it has been. And in order for us to have a relationship, some very fundamental things in the relationship would have to change. And we may decide to communicate these things and just say, hey, I've taken some time. This is what I need to feel safe. This is what I need to, you know, what I need to change. Is this something that you'd be willing to work on with me? And again, they get to say yes or no. And Part of acceptance is accepting that sometimes people will step up to the plate and be willing to problem solve with us. They'll be willing to um, work with boundaries with us and they'll be willing to evolve with us. And some people will not evolve with us. Some people will want to stay in the relationship that we've always had. And if that's no longer working for us and we've tried to you know, work through that, then sometimes the only answer is to disconnect. And this is usually what we must do if everything else has failed. And again, this decision doesn't have to be forever either. 
So you might take some space and then check in again later to see if things have changed. And if it looks like there's space for growth, you can try it out for a while. See if they add some marbles to the jar, right? See if you're able to add some marbles to their jar. But if it feels like there's no space for growth, you can close the door again for a while. So it doesn't, none of these have to be permanent. You can decide, okay, I need some space for a while. And a lot of us do after leaving high demand religion particularly if our families operated in a high demand way as well. Sometimes we separate ourselves a little bit emotionally or physically so that we can heal and we can actually hear our own voice and hear what is okay and what isn't okay. Because it's really difficult to set boundaries if you can't hear yourself. If the voices of indoctrination and the voices of like, you know, your family of origin are so loud, it can be really difficult to hear what do I want? What is okay? What is not okay? What do I need? And it's really difficult to communicate those things when, you know, we have somebody with a really loud voice or a very controlling voice kind of overriding our own thoughts. So sometimes we take a break, not because you know, we dislike the other person or whatever. It's because we're trying to hear us and we can communicate these things like, Hey, I just need some space for a while. I'm trying to hear my own voice and establish my own identity. And I will get back to you about what I need and what's okay. You may find you have to do this in friendships as well. A lot of times when we've created or we've grown up in, I guess, codependent atmospheres, sometimes we collect friends that maybe our relationships with them are not healthy for us. And sometimes we might step back and kind of take a break from everyone and just be like, what do I want? Like, what do I need in friendship? And from there, as we anchor into ourselves, then we can better communicate that to other people because they can't read our minds. They need us to know ourselves so that we can communicate it to them. And that's how we're going to get the things that we need. But first, we got to hear ourselves. So when we talk about acceptance in the religious deconstruction space, I think we're looking not just to be accepted for who we are or allowed to be our own authority without judgment. We also want people to love and embrace what they discover about us. Like all of us want that deep, wonderful acceptance and compatibility. Because what we're looking for isn't just acceptance, it's compatibility, which is a completely different topic. For next week, actually, we can learn to accept everyone we encounter, to understand the facts about who they are and who they are not, to allow them to be their own authority in their life. We can observe people's repeated behavior and believe what they're telling us about themselves with their words and their actions. But the hard truth is, we won't be compatible in all ways with all the people we meet. We are not built to click with everyone out there. Next week, we're going to talk about how to recognize and nurture relationships where you aren't just being accepted, but you're also compatible. And I can't wait to discuss that with you. So I will see you next Sunday and we will have a conversation on compatibility.